Build automation tools automate the process of building code, including steps such as compiling, packaging binary code, and running automated tests. Because of this, build automation tools are considered a key part of a continuous delivery pipeline. Build automation tools read build scripts to define how they should perform a build. Common build scripts include makefile, dockerfile, and bash. Earthly is a build automation tool that allows you to execute all your builds in containers. Earthly uses earth files, which draws from the best features of makefile and dockerfile and provides a common layer between language-specific tooling and the CI-based spec. Earthly builds are repeatable, isolated, and self-contained and will run the same way across different environments such as a CI system or a developer's laptop. In this episode, we spoke to Adam Gordon-Bell, who works in developer relations at Earthly. Adam is also the host of Co-Recursive Podcast. Adam, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me here, Jeff. I'm excited. So you are a frequent podcaster. You've been a podcaster for a while, and I know that's how you got into your current line of work at Earthly. I guess I, I want to start by just talking about podcasting a little bit. You know, my personal experience with podcasting is I, for some reason, my amount of listened podcasts declined during the pandemic. I became less of a podcast addict, and I found that they're becoming less integral to my research and evolution process as an engineer. I'm not quite sure why, but are podcasts to you as dominant and relevant to your career as an engineer as they ever have been? I think so. I find that podcasts are a great way to kind of hear somebody's experience and like to get to know them. So maybe it's not where I'm going to pick up the technical details of how to use Terraform or something, but you know, you get that kind of personal story about how somebody, you know, where Terraform came from or, or something. So that that kind of story aspect of it, I get a lot from that. You know, the thing that I've declined in watching is conference talks. Like I think they took a big hit during COVID and then a lot of people went to YouTube or like pre-recorded. And so I find myself like watching a, a conference talk on YouTube a lot less. I used to do that a lot. Would you say that your when you're learning a new subject, does your workflow is it predominantly spent in the code or do you think there's a, a necessity for when you're learning a new technology to surrounding yourself with other forms of of educational sources like podcasts or like conference talks? Yeah, I think like if you're doing something very specific, like it's helpful just being in the code or, or looking up this like one specific error. But a lot of times there's like a larger idea and that's harder to get if you're just like focused on this one problem, right? Like if you want to understand that whatever, I was trying to figure out how, to, how Terraform works today. So it's kind of top of mind, but like you need to understand that, you know, it kind of has this Kubernetes like declarative model where it's trying to describe like, here's the end result, right? And if I'm just hitting errors and looking things up, I might miss this bigger picture of like declarative configuration of servers or whatever. And, and that's the type of thing that I really learn from, yeah, like from a talk or from a conversation as opposed to just like in the dock somewhere. So speaking of where you actually work, which is Earthly, the primary product 
from Earthly is CICD tools. And we've done a show on Earthly. We've done a show on a lot of different CICD technologies. When you look at the bottlenecks in getting a piece of code into production, and you think about the average CICD pipeline, where are the most frequent bottlenecks? I mean, I think it's it's like developer time, right? So one thing that's frustrating is like you're working on something and, you know, everything's working, all the tests are passing, and then you push it to Jenkins or some CI server, and then it, f- it fails. Like maybe just something had some sort of timing dependency or something happens and it stops working. It's, it's flaky. Like flaky builds are such a, a huge problem. I think that's one of the big ones. So it's not like a problem with the actual CICD tooling. It's more a problem with developers just having manual stages or, or manual work that they need to do to get the code to production. Let me rephrase it, because I mean, that's valid. What I was thinking is like we, you know, with containers, we've gone to this world where, you know, your development environment kind of mirrors production, right? Like, or or production mirrors your developer environment, depending on the way you want to look at it, right? If you're doing things in a container locally, you ship that same container to production. But builds are like this weird world where that's not the case, right? Like people, you know, we go to build something in Jenkins and it doesn't work the same way as it works on your machine, right? That's strange. Like, why don't we use the same technology so that we can run the exact same build that happens in Jenkins or in GitHub Actions, like on our local machine? So this has happened, you know, we've brought prod and development together. Let's bring it all together. Let's let's do our builds the same, no matter where we are. That's what I was thinking. Gotcha. Have you done much research or looked into the build and release processes of like Google and Facebook? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not specifically, I, I have not worked at either place, but so so Vlad, the founder of Earthly, he worked at Google. And, you know, Google has a lot of specific ways they develop software internally. They have a very large monorepo and they have a lot of great tooling built up around that. They have a build process. They have a build solution called Blaze that is open source as Bazel. And so this story is that Vlad, when he left Google, you know, he missed having these really fast and distributed builds. And so he was looking around for some way to do that. And, and of course, Bazel is open source, so you, so you can use it, but it kind of has all these assumptions about the way that, like it, it expects you to be Google or, or Google-like, that you're using these certain languages that you really invest in the, the technology. I mean, and a lot of the way that open source development happens right now you know, open source development, there's not one giant repo, like people are pulling things in um, from different places. So yeah, the way that Google does their builds is is very powerful, but very specific to Google, I guess is, is what I would say. I don't know if that's what you were getting at with the question, but I could talk about that for a while for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, you know, the Google infrastructure for everyone movement, I'd say one of the biggest problems with making that a reality has been that Google infrastructure is very specific to Google and generalizing it has required building new solutions, you know, therefore to, I think, to kind of mimic the Google build process, Earthly had to build its own technologies and build a new company around that. Maybe you could dive a little deeper into 
the specifics of the earthly build process or the way that earthly looks at a build and how it compares to the Google build process? Yeah, so Bazel is, you know, open sourcing of of how Google builds things. It has a lot of great ideas in it about like specifically describing the various inputs and outputs to various build stages so that then you can cache them and, you know, distributedly compute them. But it's a heavy lift, right? It is built for an organization where they can invest a lot of resources into setting this up. And, you know, if you normally use, when you're working in a, in a small project, if you usually use your, you know, Scala command line SBT thing to build or NPM or whatever, like you're going to have to toss those aside and move to Bazel, which people don't want to do, right? And so the idea that you could build up this big graph of what the computations look like and that you could make sure that the build is always reproducible, those are great ideas, but can we do that in a way that works, you know, in a world where maybe we have a monorepo, maybe we have a polyrepo, maybe we have a combination of both. So the way that Earthly approaches this is using containers for isolation. So we have something called an earth file. In it, you specify the build steps and you can use within it whatever tools you normally use to build your software locally. So let's say you know you have two services and they communicate via gRPC using protobufs. So you may have a step where you generate the code based on these protobufs. Then you may have a follow-on step that builds service A and a follow-on step that builds service B. So you, you would just put those in an earth file with those three labels. The syntax would be very similar to bash. And then you can use earthly to build those. And, and when you do, it will do so inside of a container, like a OCI Docker container. And because of the way that you've laid these out with these three steps, it would be able to intuit, for instance, that once it builds the first one, it can build the other two in parallel. And also because it's inside of containers, you can run this on your local machine, you can run this inside Jenkins, you can run this inside GitHub Actions, or whatever. And I mean, you can also distribute it. So some of these steps are dependent upon others, some are independent, can be run in parallel. And just by specifying things in this format, there's a lot of power, right? So you can, you get the parallelism that I described. It's more approachable than some of these larger tools that larger orgs might use because it's it's you know similar to a makefile or a bash script. And you can get caching. So we know, for instance, if the proto files didn't change, we don't have to redo that step. And so we can skip that. And so we can kind of tell by what the inputs and outputs are to the various build steps, what steps can be cached. And that gives you kind of that power of fast builds that Vlad was looking for that, you know, that he missed from Google. In that build process, can you describe the different programming languages that are being used to parse and execute the build file? Like maybe take me through the engineering and the runtime of actually executing an earthly file. Yeah. So yeah, you have an earth file and you put it in your repo. So let's say these services that I was describing, two services that talk to each other. So you put an earth file in that repo that kind of describes these three steps, it's written, it looks maybe, you know, similar to a Docker file or a make file. And then you need to install the earthly CLI, the command line tool. So that's written in Go. 
And then you could type, you know, earthly space plus service one, and then it will start building service one. The way it will do that is, uh, so yeah, it's written in Go and it uses BuildKit to actually do the building. So, so BuildKit is something that was spun out of Docker and it uses run C, basically like Linux namespaces, containers, to create an isolated environment in which it builds the steps of your build process. And that's how you're able to know that, like a, like a classic build problem is like, oh, there's something on my machine, but it's not on the build server, right? So by using containers, we can make sure that you hit that problem before you get there. So yeah, the earthly CLI is written in Go, and then it communicates with the backend that does the building that would be running as a Docker container on your machine. And it is also written in Go, and that build engine is called BuildKit, and it's what will be doing the build. Is that helpful? Absolutely. And so what if something goes wrong during the build? Yeah, so I mean, you'll get an error, right? So like, say, you put in a test and the test fails, then you know, you'll get an error back at the command line, right? Like such and such failed. Or do you mean something went wrong with the software or? No, no, no. Just like, I was just speaking about the the debugging process of hitting some build with errors. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically you're getting back, you know, red light, green light, like this went well or it didn't. Gotcha. And so if I'm in a typical development environment, I'm probably you know, building my software and running it and trying it many, many times a day. And in order to make some of that happen faster, ideally, parts of the build are going to be cached over time. Yeah. How complicated is the caching infrastructure for the build tooling? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So the way I was describing the the steps earlier, like where you have your proto step and then your your two services... You know, you're specifying that hey, these files kind of lead to the they are what are you to they are what is used to generate the protocode, and then these things depend on it. So by you outlining those steps, you've actually kind of given us a structure for how we can cache your build, right? So we we know that hey, if the proto file didn't change, we don't need to regenerate the code off of it. You know, if service one, if none of the code that is used being to build service one has been built, then we don't need to change that. So when Earthly builds up this graph of how to execute your build, it knows what the inputs and outputs to those stages are, and it can calculate a hash of those, you know, like kind of like a file changed hash. And then it knows, hey, the last time I calculated the hash of all these proto files, it was X and it's still X, so I don't need to run those steps. I can just use the cached result from the previous time. So that is how Earthly handles caching. It's able to tell for each step, you know, what's changed, and it actually does it line by line. So as it's going through each result, it knows the inputs to it, and then it caches those on disk. And then the next time it needs to hit that line, if, if nothing changed, then it can just use the result of that. If something did change, then it's got to invalidate all the previous steps. Here's the thing. Caching is super important for builds, right? If you think about you know, the safest way to build something if you didn't trust yourself to do caching would be to build everything from scratch every time, right? But like, how far do you go back? There's all these dependencies, all this source code being pulled in from all these places. If you want a fast build, like 
being able to know when you can cache steps and not rerun them is like the key. That saves developer time, right? And that's one of the most expensive things for a lot of tech companies. If I'm adopting a build tool, I mean, I've already got probably lots of build infrastructure in place. What's the adoption path for Earthly? Yeah. So Earthly, it's build system agnostic in a way. Like you you can write your Earth file. And then where previously you had a bunch of steps, if you were using Jenkins, maybe your build for these services had a bunch of steps written in, in Groovy, like in a, in a Jenkins file. So you could just instead write an Earth file. The Earth file you can run locally, but you can also just call that in Jenkins. So that's a nice adoption because you don't have to actually change your CI thing. It's just like one day when you get tired of fighting with Jenkins, like trying to push something like, I think this works. Maybe you can just rewrite it into an earth file and then start doing this. The nice thing about that is like later when you're like, never mind Jenkins, I'm going to get up actions because you have that stuff all in this neutral format, this earthly that you can run wherever you can move to get up actions by just now calling earthly within GitHub Actions. So that's what we see as the adoption path. Like, you know, migrate your build to earthly or, or just start a new build there and then use it in whatever system you're using. It's kind of like a, a neutral format that you can bring with you. Does that make sense? Totally. And I guess the portability, if it becomes kind of an integral system for anybody that's using earthly, that seems like a sticky element of building a good company. I guess, you know, when I was when I was first looking at Earthly as a company, I guess I, I kind of didn't realize that it was it's in a separate state from just CI/CD tooling. It's kind of a differentiated category of software. There's not really a comparable system to Earthly, right? I mean, it's kind of a, a, a one of a kind if you look at the software market, right? Yeah, no, I think so, right? And I think that, you know, people seem to like it. And then we have ideas where we can offer more value to kind of grow into a, a commercial entity. So everything I've described so far is just open source. But I mean, we plan to have value adds on top of that. But yeah, I agree. It's kind of like we're trying to make builds nicer, like CI and builds is one of the areas that really needs an upgrade for developers. Like it's just, it's not a fun area. We're trying to make it more fun. You know, if we can make a developer's life a little bit nicer, I mean, I think there's value in that. So now that we've kind of gotten an overview of the system, let's go a little bit deeper into the context of, of an actual earth file and I guess how the, the syntax and the execution differs from other systems. So can you, I guess, walk me through the syntax and the typical, like if I'm, let's say I already have all my existing build tools, I've already got a CICD system in place, and I'm just onboarding with Earthly, what does the process look like? What does my typical first Earth file look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the first thing you're going to do is yeah just just create an earth file and let's say you know when i normally build my service i type like go I just do go i do like go build main.go and that produces main which is like my executable right so if i make an earth file 
And because it's containerized, I need to specify, uh, you know, what container I should run it in. So I'll just put like at the top, just like it's Dockerfile, I'll put from Golang Alpine latest. And then I'll put build colon, just describing, I'm going to call this stage build. And then I'm going to copy in my Go file. So I would put like copy main.go dot. So it's just saying, okay, I'm going to transfer in to this context. Like I'm going to do my build in a clean slate Docker context that I've just created. So I'm going to copy in that main file. So just copy main go dot. And then I'm going to do run go build main.go. So the steps that I've done there are basically the same I would do if I were doing a build locally, like the go main.go, except first I need to copy things in and I need to specify like a container for that to run in. Actually, you can skip you can skip specifying the container and it's just going to be Alpine, but then then I would need to install the Go compiler into that. So that would be step one. And if I have a really complicated infrastructure, am I going to eventually need multiple Earth files, like a chain of Earth files? Yeah, like you probably will want that, especially if you have like a, a monorepo setup. So I was describing before those two services and the protofiles, you could imagine them being in a repository with kind of like three folders, one for each. And in each one, maybe I have an earth file. This is a, a possible way you could split it up. You could also do this all in one earth file, but you know, three will become 30. So eventually it makes sense. So maybe in my folder for my proto file, I have the steps that just generate the code, like uh, run protoc, da 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 da. And in the one for the first service, I have, you know, how to build the first service and the second one, how to build the second one. And then at a top level, you know, I might have an earth file that just has a step called all and all just, you know, builds my two services. And then in whatever CI I use, I can call that all step. And because of the nice caching, you know, maybe if I make a change to one service, it won't have to rebuild the second service because using the caching, it can know that, okay, the second service hasn't changed. Yeah. So definitely you can have, you can organize things by having many earth files, or you can have one very large earth file. Sort of a, depends on how you structure your code, I suppose, what would work best. Gotcha. So, okay, now we've talked through the basics of how Earthly works. If you look at the company as needing to build, obviously, products that are going to make money, what is that business model going to look like? Yeah, <laughs> it's important, right? We have uh, investors. I have to get paid. Yeah, so we're going to build like CI. We're going to build a, a cloud-hosted CI solution that takes advantage of the Earth file to do parallel and, you know, very highly cached and very user-friendly builds. And how has that product development process gone thus far? It's super interesting, right? So we haven't announced a, a product yet, but yeah, we're building CI. So we have all these people using Earthly, the open source product, and then we, we can talk to them and, and see what problems they have. It's super interesting. Like builds are, are just a thorny area. It's like, there are people at every place with, you know, more than six developers. There's somebody who's just spent some time, you know, just pulling out their hair over builds. And so there's a, there's a long list of things to improve. And so, yeah, like a lot of our process is talking to these people and, and trying to fine tune the best thing to build. But also we have some sort of innate advantages 
for people who use the earth file. Like the way I described the dependencies and the graph and the caching just mean that we're going to be able to offer some pretty cool features as a SaaS CI service. Anything that stands out in terms of the development process thus far as, as being interesting? Like if, if you want to build a massively parallel hosted CI/CD system, I guess I'm not sure if you're directly involved in that because you're, you're more on the developer relations side, but if you have any context for the development thus far of building CI/CD. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about CI, right, is like, a, you know, a lot of times when people are building cloud infrastructure, you know, like the worst thing that can happen is some sort of remote code execution exploit, right? Like somebody running whatever arbitrary code on your servers or these servers that you're renting. The funny thing about CI is CI, like it's remote code execution as a service, right? Like you're, that's exactly what it is. So I think if you look at the varying CIs out there, that's that's the thing they've all struggled with is like, how do we make it easy for people, you know, give them the fastest servers so that we can run our code, but not, you know, open things up too much? Or how do we, I mean, we don't have this problem yet, but if you look at a lot of the big providers, like how do we prevent Bitcoin miners, right? <laughs> like just you give away free compute. This is what people are going to do with them. So that's a big challenge, just securing things, I guess. Another one is like just securing things in terms of making sure that, you know, one person's like people giving your, you their code to build, that's like one of their most important assets. So, so how do you make sure that there's no way for, you know, one customer to get access to somebody else's code? Like that's something I think that we take very seriously and that all build providers hopefully do. Yeah, it would definitely be worse if person A could put Bitcoin miners into person B's code. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was just thinking more about like, what if they could exfiltrate people's code, right? Like what if there was some cloud build provider and, you know, somebody could run something malicious that could get access to other people's payloads on it, right? Like that you have to be, you have to think very carefully about these things, corporate espionage or, or something like that. So your work is developer relations. This is kind of an emerging role, or I guess it's, you know, it's been emerging over the last 10 years. What does the job of a developer relations person look like for this company in, in particular? Is it, and I guess maybe you could probably highlight some of the things or the frequently asked questions that you encounter when you speak with developers working with Earthly. Yeah, developer relations is super interesting. And one thing I should mention, Jeff, is like, I'm in developer relations because of you, right? I, I listened to this podcast, and then at one point you were looking for guest people, and I started, I did a couple guest episodes for you and learned that I really liked, I guess, like talking about technology, right? And so I started my own podcast, and then eventually that led to this job where, yeah, I just talk about tech all the time. And I really love it. I don't think it's for everybody. So thank you, I guess. <laughs> That's yeah, one thing I wanted very, to very say. You're very welcome. I mean, I was just, yeah, I stole my passion from SE Radio, of course. So. Yeah, yeah. So developer relations at Earthly, I mean, I think it's unique everywhere, probably. Like, it's a, it's a varied role, right, I guess. But one thing that I do a lot is actually just try to teach people how to use things that aren't even necessarily Earthly. So, you know, we've written tutorials on 
how to speed up your Jenkins build or best ways to write make files or how to use awk. And so I, I spend a lot of time writing. When I started in this role, I wasn't totally sure, like it wasn't going to be that, right? But like Vlad and I, when I started, we had met with some of the investors in Earthly. And one of them was this guy, Mitch Weiner, who's one of the founders of DigitalOcean. And I don't know, you're probably aware, like DigitalOcean just, they put a lot of work into documenting how to do things like on Linux servers. They just invest a ton of money into that. And so he recommended we do that. Like, don't just teach people about Earthly, teach people about everything, you know, people who might be potential users of Earthly, like what problems do they have and how can you solve them? And so that's what we spend a lot of time doing. And it's great. Like I might run out of things to talk about Earthly, even though it's amazing, but I can always take a new tool, teach people, you know, how to use Terraform or Make or whatever. Yeah. So developer relations at Earthly involves a lot of written teaching to other developers. So are there some frequently asked questions that you run into when you're communicating with people? Yeah. Yeah, like like a frequently asked question is the one you asked, like how are you guys going to make money? So we're going to we're building a, a pretty cool CI. You know, a thing that people often ask is, "Hey, you know, you're building things inside containers. Can we like volume mount our code inside and it will be faster that way?" because sometimes people have a lot of code to copy in and it, and it slows it down. So people ask about, in general, can you implement this performance tweak to Earthly that would make it faster for my specific use case? And like, we thought about this a lot, right? And like, we have, you know, kind of a soft rule that we won't introduce features that will make the builds flaky, that will make the builds possibly unstable, even if they would make them faster. Like we try to say that what's most important to us is a reproducible build. And then we work to make that fast. So a lot of questions and stuff from people currently using Earthly is around this idea and how do we teach them? Like, listen, the most important thing is that your build is always 100% the same. Let's get that on point and then we'll work on performance. So we talk about that a lot. Another thing we talk about is we try to make the Earth files very simple to understand. It has some simple concepts, you know, copy things in, run things. Sometimes, especially if you're really familiar with Earthly, you might want more complicated steps added. What we think is it's important that however your build works is very understandable. If you added this new like complicated step that could make things easier to specify, but it was harder for somebody coming to it to the first time to understand, we'd prefer to rethink that, right? Like we try to put our focus on what we call approachability. Like people don't spend all day in the build every day. We want it to be like when you go to it, you understand it. So we spend a lot of time teaching people about that. And in general, that is a thing. We have a certain approach to doing builds and we're trying to teach it to people. Like we put a lot of thought into it and there's some best practices. We're trying to teach people the earthly way, I guess. One other big question we used to get a lot was why are you using a BSL license? So we, we used to be licensed under BSL. BSL was the MariaDB's license, the business source license. And it was popular with open source databases. So BSL is very much close to an open source license, except with one excluding principle that says, like, you cannot compete with us commercially. 
And so this is a license that was born out of Amazon basically taking open source databases and, and running it on AWS and kind of leaving them no commercial Right, this is the thing that Kafka and Redis and yeah. Elasticsearch use. Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of varieties, so I don't know which is which, but yeah, it's like open core model, right? It's like, or is it open core? I'm not sure of the definitions, but all these licenses were made with this idea, like let's prevent Amazon from eating our lunch, right? And we originally were using that license and we actually got a lot of feedback from the community on it and we, we switched. So now we're using the Mozilla public license. So basically it's a standard open source license. Yeah, we were worried about making that change, but I think it was a great decision. Do you want me to explain why we made that decision? I assume so that Amazon couldn't just jack your product and make a CICD product based off of it? Well, yeah, so that's why we originally chose BSL, but then we switched away from it. So now we're using MPL. So now, basically, we think that the risk is low of, of AWS, like jacking our product, as you said. Like databases are clearly within their wheelhouse. You know, build tools are, are less clear. And, you know, there's a cost to doing these things, right? If it's an impediment for adoption, like if the developer starts using Earthly and then realizes like, oh, I have to go talk to legal at my company, like you just lost the battle right there, right? So there's a cost. It's friction to the adoption process, right? And for us, you have to weigh those things against the risk. So if someone comes up to you and they say, you know, look, I like the idea of having a new build tool, but we really don't have the developer resources to invest in migrating to it and changing our whole build pipeline. What would you say to them? You know, I get it. Builds are not fun <laughs> to migrate. And, you know, if it's working, keep using it. But, you know, when you go to make a change to your Jenkins build or your GitHub Actions build and something doesn't work and then you're like, okay, I think I fixed it and you commit that and you push that and you wait for it to run, you know, and then that fails. And then when that starts happening, like you very quickly, like the end of the day will happen then the end of the week, like time just disappears into this huge feedback cycle. So just, I mean, when you get into that mode, just, you know, take a half day, look at Earthly, your time will be paid back. If you're just able to get to a build that you can run on your local machine without these big feedback loops, I think that you'll pay off that investment so fast. But I would also say if you're working on something new, doesn't have a build yet, I mean, that's also a great opportunity. So I would look at those times. You know, like you can keep using Jenkins or, or whatever you're using, but maybe, you know, look at when you're having these slow feedback cycles, if you can introduce something like Earthly to kind of just get off that push and pray cycle, which is so painful. Yeah. Well, if you were to estimate how much developer resources it takes to migrate a build tool or migrate to a build tool and how you would propagate that through an organization. Are there any playbooks you've seen for how a large organization would migrate entirely to a, a new build tool? Yeah, so a lot of times there's like a build guru, right? Like there's somebody within the organization or within the team. I mean, if you have simple builds and they don't do too much, then it doesn't matter. Like, you know, everything's simple, but usually things get more complex over time. And so not everybody knows how the build works. And so there's a build guru type of person who has to do these changes. And then, you know, if something goes wrong with the build, he becomes kind of like the bottleneck. 
And so a lot of times the way a change gets made from one build system to another is that build guru becomes a huge bottleneck. Somebody who's maybe a team lead or an engineering manager who's maybe still a little bit in the weeds, it gets on their radar. Like, this is a problem. Like, we have this bottleneck here with our builds, whatever it is, right? Like, people are waiting days to get things merged in because there's this backlog of builds or something's down and this isn't happening or the builds just take hours and, you know, this bottleneck gets identified and then, you know, bring together people to discuss about what's to be done. And a lot of times... The smart way to approach this is not to wholesale, try to change everything everywhere, but to pick a place where, you know, you can kind of do a trial run of something. Oh, maybe we should try Bazel. Maybe we should try Earthly. Maybe we should try GitHub Actions in this one project and see if it alleviates our problem. Oh, maybe we should try this caching strategy in this little area and see how it goes. And then from there, you know, things can spread. So that's, I think, the smart way to do adoption. It's like a slow rollout where somebody's trying it out, let it bake a little bit, and then try it a couple other areas, and then slowly roll it out throughout an organization. So if you take a step back and look at the long-term direction of the company, what's the most direct comparator? Would it be like CloudBees or like CircleCI? Yeah, probably. Yeah, either of those. I mean, I guess CloudBees is more like Jenkins existed and they made a cloud version of it. So I'm not sure that, actually, I don't want to say that they're not innovative. I was just thinking Circle CI, you know, seemed very innovative. So I think that's a comparison point for sure. Yeah, well, I think, you know, with you know, Jenkins, it was just an older product and it was probably harder to iterate on. And mm-hmm. yeah, Circle CI, definitely more innovative, but it does seem to be really hard to mature out of, your core product is a continuous integration company. But, you know, it's one of those things that's such a valuable piece of infrastructure that the churn is really low. So it's at least really good business. But when you look at the long-term direction of other problems that the company could tackle, are there other areas of infrastructure that you can imagine expanding laterally into? Or do you think just the CI process is so deep that it'll be something you can spend an eternity on? (laughs) Well, like, I think that the directions of expansion are twofold in my mind. So, you know, there's CI, but then you still need to deploy things, right? Like, how do you actually get things into prod, not just building them, right? So that's a direction, right? So going towards production, there's lots that can be improved that way. And then the other direction is towards dev, right? So how can you improve how the developer does their job, right? Like why do they even have to commit to build something? Why can't I be doing some sort of distributed testing of all the services on some fancy machines in the cloud while while they're sitting there on their local machine? Just a random idea. But I think that there's lots that can be improved in both directions, right? Like the developer process on their local machine, as well as continuous deployment, And then these weird in-between areas, like, you know, people have these staging environments that everybody pushes their code to and and tries to integrate. How do you test services without having like a whole replica of prod for each developer and so on? Like, there's so much, honestly, like, you know, you could spend forever on it. But this area like needs even more companies. If developer time is valuable, right, then the more time we can spend 
like polishing these things and, and taking away these paper cuts from the development process, like the more valuable. Like I think that, okay, a slow build costs you 15 minutes, right? Or whatever amount of time. But it really costs you more than that because there's kind of like this interruption of flow, you know, of, of whatever you're working on. When something gets like, you know, more than five minutes, then I'm going to like, oh, grab a coffee or something. And then I get sidetracked by Slack. And it's just the time that's lost by distraction, by slow processes that don't have to be. It's astronomical, I think. If you look at your own history as a developer, are there places where you've worked where things would have been alleviated by having a better build system? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a previous place I worked at, we had this build, you know, and to prevent problems from occurring in production, we would keep adding things. You know, we add some integration tests, and then some of the integration tests depend upon some third party environment, and then it would fail. And so I just remember having these builds. And they would take 30 minutes and then they would fail once in a while. <laughs> like Not even once in a while. It was like, for a while, it seemed like they would fail like one out of three times. And then it was like, you could take the time. We were in, I mean, this is like bad teammanship, right? But like nobody wanted to like, you know, take the week and figure out what was going on there or like the couple days or, or whatever it was. So everybody like, you know, your build fails one out of three times. You just hit like rebuild and then, you know, it'll work the next time. Eventually we got in there and we found out what was wrong with these integration tests. But the time we spent, you know, it was like nobody wanted to be the person to own that, to get these tests working. It was just a huge problem. And then there was another team at this place who had more of a monorepo approach and they had a long PR backlog. And then the PRs, you know, to merge them after people reviewed them, they needed to be merged and then meanwhile, there'd be other PRs made. So they needed to like rebase them and then a new build would be needed. And they just started having this world where they were fighting to get code merged. Like people were racing to like merge PRs before another PR got in, which triggered another build. Like it was insanity, like literally a zero sum game of a whole bunch of developers competing to who can get their thing merged so they don't have to rebase and build again. Oh, I've seen so many horrible practices where there's just like a build problem and people, you know, you don't want to invest the time in it. It's not what you're measured on. You know, you're measured on shipping your feature. You don't want to dig in and fix this problem for everybody. Of course, people do eventually, right? That's when people, that's when a developer can really show leadership, but we shouldn't be dependent upon that, right? We need better systems. Well, anything you want to close out with? No, no. Thanks for having me on. This is fantastic. Cool. Pleasure as always. Thanks, Adam. Thank you.